Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your host and game master. Heroes, this week we are continuing our tale with The Price of Coal. Just as a reminder, this is definitely a tragic series, and there are more than a couple content notes in our show notes. Since we've got no announcements, though, let's get right to the show. So thank you so much, James, for inviting me to this. Thank you, Jennifer, for creating this game. <laughs> and, oh, Alex and Palomi, uh, I'm super excited to play this yeah, game. Yeah, I'm this obsessed. Is, this is good. This game rules. <laughs> thank you. I, I was like, I'm not going to lie. I and I would not so say that to just anybody. <laughs> I get so twitchy and nervous every time I have to run my own game. I thought eventually I would reach the point where I'm not nervous running my own game anymore, but that has not happened yet. Maybe in 10 years, but uh, but seeing you all embrace it so much has been so awesome. So, Yay, good. You like seriously, like in this character creation, I love it. You've nailed so many of like the Appalachian fiction tropes, but like you really have. I am um, funny story. The, the, main inspiration for this game is actually a book of poetry uh, written by um, the daughter of a coal miner. Which one? Kettlebottom by Diane Gilliam Fisher. I don't Fisher. know that one. Oh, it's phenomenal. Highly recommend. Cool. But yeah, so I was actually able, I think it was really interesting to be able to pull from poetry instead of just necessarily yeah. from, from mm -hmm. nonfiction. Yeah, definitely. All right. So is everybody good to start with our introduction oh, for yeah. the historical text? Boogie woogie. Unfortunately, yes, it is time to listen to me talk again. <laughs> Not unfortunate. <laughs> Maybe I just get sick of my own voice. Then do a funny voice. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> I don't do voices. Give us your best Appalachian accent. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, because that's, that's not going to be a rude caricature at all. <laughs> just do an impression of Griffin McElroy. Oh, my God. <laughs> These beautiful mind boys. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a, a a new introductory text written in in a McElroy uh, 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 vernacular would be spectacular. Yeah. And yeah, if you could just please just break that off for us, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's our hundred thousand dollar stretch goals. I will pay Griffin McElroy <laughs> to record all of the text. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, let's go. Scraping up that sweet fire dust. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Coal? Do you mean coal? <laughs> <laughs> Coal's a word. <laughs> so, in 1920, the coal miners of West Virginia faced shameful living conditions and even worse working conditions. The coal companies controlled everything in the remote towns, cut off from the rest of the world, but for a single train line in and out. Access to housing, education, and doctors were fully governed by the companies. Miners were paid subsistence wages, despite high profits, or even paid only in scrip, which could only be used at the company-owned store. Within the mines themselves, workers experienced frequent cave-ins and other dangerous accidents, as the operators were reluctant to reduce production for the sake of safety. When whispers of unionization began to arise in the mountains, the coal companies responded harshly. 
They employed the Baldwin Phelps Detective Agency, or Company Gun Thugs, to violently and cruelly enact the company's will upon the miners. In the spring of 1920, a group of Baldwin Phelps agents were sent to carry out an eviction. Yeah, so that, that clause was, uh, they were resisted by Sid Hatfield, the police chief of Matewan, West Virginia. Events escalated from there, including the declaration of martial law, spiraling into the 1921 assassination of Sid Hatfield, who had by then become a local icon and a leader to the miners throughout the region. Martial law was declared in Mingo County due to the unrest. Miners from neighboring counties gathered in the thousands to march to bloody Mingo County with the aim of liberating their compatriots. Many of them were veterans of World War I, which was supposed to be the war to end all wars. In response, federal troops were dispatched to Blair Mountain, including aerial bombers equipped with leftover gas and explosive bombs from the Great War. Days of guerrilla warfare followed, during which as many as 100 miners were killed for the crime of wanting a better life. The miners were eventually forced to lay down their weapons and return to their homes, with nearly 1,000 arrests for treason in the days and weeks that followed. Sympathetic juries led to few convictions, one mercy in the aftermath, The union was severely weakened in West Virginia, unable to negotiate for better conditions for the workers they represented. Over time, marginal improvements were made towards the worst of the dangers the miners faced, but the Battle of Blair Mountain was no victory for workers' rights. The fallout of the battle and the dominance of the coal companies are still felt to this day. So that's our introduction. Do we have a volunteer for first player? I, I, can't I, I see will. your videos because I'm sharing my screen. The, I, I will volunteer. The primal fear of volunteering. <laughs> <laughs> so, James, your event card, and you can decide which of your two characters you want to take this with, mm-hmm. um, is economics. Times are tough everywhere. People are desperate for jobs. They'll take any job, anywhere. Every day, more and more people arrive by train to find work as a coal miner. How will you make sure these new people are prepared for the reality of life in the mines? God, I am the worst person to do this. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's why it's great that the card went to you. Yeah. uh, So John, this is definitely John's uh, 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 rub here. John, we, I, 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 I think we see John Bailey kind of, at whatever local like like pub there is. John Bailey, you know, I, again, I described the picture that is provided in these materials as, as very, very Hemsworth-like <laughs> yes. character. He looks like the Hollywood hunk that you would choose to, to be the leading person in a film about this. I liked that Alex used, I think, the phrase protagonist coded. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. He, he feels that way. I mean, he is somebody who, like, clearly has borne the brunt of working in a coal mine. He is strong, and he speaks clearly and confidently, but he wears lines that are definitely deeper than, than his years would normally allow. His hands are huge and powerful, but they are, they are calloused. Despite all of that, like through, through the soot on his face, through, through the like just tired posture that, that you, you have to have as somebody who works so hard for so long, his eyes behind that are bright and sparkling. 
and as I said before, his voice is booming. It can easily fill a room. When John laughs, the walls rumble with that laughter. And John is someone who very much sees himself as the sort of person that can do the things that he wants to do. John keeps on him in, in his shirt pockets, a little notebook where he tries to keep a diary. He writes every day, every moment that he thinks he can steal away for himself. He imagines one day publishing what he has written, showing people the things that he has to say. But of course, this diary will never be published because John Bailey, despite his optimism, despite his enthusiasm, despite his great strength and charisma in person, he has not had the wealth and education that many folks whose writing we preserve and look to at pivotal historical moments today had. He had not had the gentle life that one needs to cultivate sweet words. Instead, he writes very plainly, writes very simply, but he writes prolifically. And we can see him now trying to jot down a few thoughts, occasionally looking up from what he's doing because he, earlier that day, invited a large group of people who signed up to, to work in the mines, who were about to start work, to, to meet with him, to welcome them. He is bone tired, but he is summoning up the last bit of his energy to spend this entire evening to plant the seed of the ideas that he knows will need to germinate and grow in order to do what he knows needs to be done. And I don't know uh, <laughs> what to do from here, because uh, I feel like everybody else is established in the mine. Uh, so it, it, it... I feel like maybe we have... I, I kind of like this idea. We have John. He's like summoned all of these new like baby faced miners mm -hmm. who are all fresh and uh, not yet world weary with it yet as we are. Um, I think maybe Nathaniel comes across this little gathering and and is sort of like, OK, what are you actually hoping to accomplish here? Like not to be a buzzkill, not to not to bring down John's elation in this moment of reaching these people but how is this actually going to help them survive yeah so like is, is that an expression or is that something like literally that nathaniel is saying to john i think nathaniel would literally say that to john i think nathaniel will literally come in and say that and it, yeah well so this is an important question are you doing that in front of all of these people mm. No, I think I think I pull you aside. It's sort of like, hey, John, can can I have a minute real quick? Just, of, uh... of course, I'll, I'll be right back. John, I I really appreciate what you're trying to do here. I really I honestly do. But maybe we need to talk to them more about basic safety procedures or or that's what that's, to look out for when you're in the mountain that is something that, that we we can do on the job what what's really most important right now is that these men know that they need to be able to depend on one another if they don't have that 
they don't have anything. You know, I, you're not wrong. I, I, I respect that, but I just feel like you're putting the cart a bit ahead of the horse here, you know? Well, then you should sit down and join us. This is exactly what they need. They, they need to hear from, from their fellows who will be around them in those minds. They, they need to learn your name. They, they, they need to hear your voice because when they're down there and when they're up here, they're going to need to be able to go to someone like you in order to, to, to make this thing work. We, we can't be separated from, from these people. Uh, if we put up barriers, then then we're just we're wandering alone in, in the, the tunnels ourselves. You know what? I had I had other things I was gonna do today, but sure, I'll pull up a chair. I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> he pats Nathaniel on the back, like introduces Nathaniel to the group, and and darts over to the bar and looks at the money that he has remaining. He was planning on getting himself a little something to eat. Sarah, you know, tonight knows that John is going to be out and talking. So he's responsible for his own dinner and he planned to get a soup, but it is more important that everyone feel connected. And if the cost of that is soup for a night, to turn into a drink for someone like Nathaniel to make Nathaniel believe and help everyone else believe, well, that's worth paying that price. Beautiful. I love it. And honestly, I feel like that scene right there is that moment of like John contemplating that. Mm-hmm. All right. So our next card will go to Alex. The company store. They've raised the prices at the company store. Every other store has been closed. The company controls all the food and supplies now. It was hard enough to feed your families before the price hike. How will you feed them now? And you can decide which of your your two characters you want to take that with. So this is definitely Kit. Um, Mm -hmm. This is a fall card, right? We're in the fall right now? Yes, we are in fall. It is a beautiful autumn day, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Well, every autumn day is beautiful here. Um, And we get a shot of the town and it's it's a small town, but it's nestled in the mountains just so in a way that this time of year more than any other really shows why somebody would make a town here in the first place. The hills are on fire with red and gold and yellow, and it's a funny thing, but the rest of the time it almost seems like the colors of this town are are dulled somehow. There's a thin layer of coal dust that settles on everything, no matter how bright the sun shines or no matter how intensely you scrub and whitewash the walls or repaint the fences. It's just, it's gray all the time, every day. The sky is always gray. The walls are always gray. The ground is always gray and nothing ever gets clean. But on days like today, there is a glimmer all along the mountain ridge that's just unspeakably beautiful. And when the breeze just whips through the valley there next to the side of the mountain, it's easy for a second to remember that there are things that you love about this place. And that's what Kit is thinking on as they um, 
walk down into town. It's one of those rare mornings where uh, they have a little bit of time to run errands before they have to go get back to work and, and start hanging on the shift there. But um, as the wind is sort of whipping through and as Kit is, uh, I think, carrying an apple and sort of sort of biting down on it and, and sort of relishing in the snap of the apple as the crisp autumn wind whips around, there's this brief moment where things almost feel good. And then they crest the hill and their heart drops into their stomach because the grocery store, which is where they were headed, the little market that used to be owned by the nice Irish gentleman, is papered over. The door is hanging open and the inside is clearly empty, totally, totally empty and devoid of anything that it previously had. And the windows are half boarded over in a way that indicates that there really wasn't even a point in trying to close the place up properly because nothing is ever going in there. And there's this sudden realization that the one remaining option, the one lifeline that might have held for a little bit longer is not holding for any longer. And I think that Kit sort of grasps this, takes a deep breath, and then keeps walking down the hill a bit further to the company store. There was enough time to look in the windows and realize that anything which was going to be stolen from the grocery store has already long since been stolen. And uh, it's time to, you know, pick up the pieces and move on to other options. So Kit walks into the company store, which is a place that they are well familiar with, and uh, I think is looking at the price of a loaf of bread. And it is more than Kit would like to pay for a loaf of bread, you know, especially being the sole provider for the family. Kit doesn't have a father, hasn't had a father for a long time. And from the time that Kit was 13, which is probably eight or nine years ago at this point, Kit has been the man of the household, which is a hard, hard thing to do. And Kit doesn't have any younger brothers who are going to be easing that burden anytime soon, which is a thing that they're equal parts grateful for and on their less proud days devastated by. And I think that we have a, a similar shot sort of echoing the one of John in the bar where Kit pulls what script they have out of their pocket and is looking at it sort of as they thumb it through their hand and uh, feels this anxiety clutching at their chest as they are um, confronted with the fact that this is not going to work much longer. I think as as you're contemplating that, you can hear a, a voice over by the till that is mm -hmm. exasperated and a, a voice that is confused and, and, and trying to communicate as, as best she can as we've got Viola Pellegrini with a, a meager collection of groceries trying to offer the script from Andre's pay mm -hmm. to the person running the company store. The problem is Viola is, is trying to get what she normally gets. And now that money yeah. doesn't stretch as far and she does not understand why it doesn't. And this man is tired of having to explain to people generally that things cost more now, but cannot even begin to explain to Viola how, why that has changed. And she's just confused, uh, apologetic, but also 
not understanding that she needs to change her order. Yeah. Oof. I think I I walk up to the counter and I uh, sort of put on the, the calm, casual smile that I keep in my back pocket for such situations. And I, uh, I, I go up to the cashier and I'm like, uh, m- morning to you, Mr. Hill. What, what seems to be the problem here today? Now, I, I can pretend to be Mr. Hill sure. unless someone else wants to. Um, I would have done a Hank Hill impression. So <laughs> oh, no! Uh, this one, she, 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 she just doesn't get it. She, she, she doesn't get that this isn't enough anymore, and I, I can't explain it anymore, and I'm, I'm done. I'm fed up. Well, you could just let her have it. Seems like the easiest solution to me. Now, you know I can't do that. Oh, I know. I got my job same as you got yours. Yeah, and it's an and it's an honest day's work. I do believe that. But um, you know, I think that there's got to be something we can do to work this out. Does does she have credit? No, not no, not to speak of. And yeah, when 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 we're talking about credit, this is this is not. Oh, yeah. Someone that we would consider a, a white person. Uh, uh, so, yeah. like, yeah. that that question probably evokes some visible uh, disgust or Contempt, reaction. Yeah. yeah. I think that Kit realizes this and uh, swallows hard and sort of runs a hand through their close-cropped hair and uh, looks back up and says, Well, um, well, I know that I do. So, uh, for today, why don't you... Uh, Put whatever she can't pay on mine, I'll, along with these, and we'll work it out. I'll uh, I'll walk her home today, and I'll, I'll have a talk with her old man. If you insist, Mr. Parsons. Now, maybe we can just clear the air. It's a beautiful day outside. Open up these windows. You know, no reason to stay in here, just circling around all day and, and looming at the good folks who got to come in and spend their paycheck, same as anyone else. Huh. Well, you're right about it being a beautiful day. I'll give you that. And uh, Kit places down what little they do have in their pocket on the counter and does the mental math that they know how to do about what the rest of that cost is going to be. And I think sort of offers an arm to Viola as they go to walk out of the store, realizing that maybe for now the best thing they can do is push that problem to a different day. Yeah, Viola, I think, like very sort of uh, uh, apologetic like understands that something that this mm-hmm. uh, th- this person has done has like solved the situation mm-hmm. so she just tries t- uh, to like thank him yeah i guess i mean she she's probably going to assume that this is a, a young man she like tries to thank him and and like getting offered an arm she mm-hmm. does not want to make waves, so so she does like take it sort of like lightly. It's not quite hover handed, but it's like yeah, I'm yeah, definitely do this because clearly I owe this person. I don't know what I owe them though, and I think she takes time to look out over the rolling beauty of West Virginia, and I, I think this is a stark contrast to where she is from, where she grew up. Uh, I don't know if anyone has been to central Italy, but there there are no mountains, but there are these rolling hills and it is gorgeous. And, and, and the greens and, and, and color of, of all the plants is something to behold. And I, I think here in Virginia, like 
there is something of that beauty still that 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 luscious rolling you know countryside full of life and possibility but it looms larger and probably feels a bit darker that 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 thing that you said about it feels like there's a thin layer of coal dust over everything so i i, I kind of feel like uh she can see that beauty as well but it just it feels a little bit more sinister to her as she's walking home not understanding why today was different or difficult. And is that scene? Yeah, yeah, I think that's scene. So that will bring us to B's with either Lester or Eliza. Your card is Labor Day. This is supposed to be your day, a day to celebrate the trials and triumphs of the worker. The coal managers are celebrating too, but what do they have to celebrate? They barely work to begin with. How do you keep tensions from escalating among the miners? All right, so definitely this is going to start with Lester. So I would say Lester is probably like there's a big gathering of all the miners to kind of celebrate today. So everybody's, you know, having a ball and Lester's kind of sitting off to the side, drinking by himself. He's sitting back, one arm on the chair, and just kind of taking sips here and there, watching everybody. Every once in a while, he'll shoot uh, a side eye to the supervisors that are celebrating as well, because mm-hmm. they're they're celebrating at another table from any of the miners because you can't mix company that way, according <laughs> to them. So he's sitting back and watching them, just thinking. You know, what the hell are y'all even sitting here doing? You're literally doing now today what you've been doing every day that we're in the mines working. So what you celebrate? So he's, you know, he's not going to say it out loud, but that's that's the that's the look he's giving them, you know. And at this point, Lester has been there since he was able to wield a pickaxe. So, you know, they know he's he's. A reliable worker they know he's a good worker they know he's strong and has a lot of sway over the miners so they don't really say anything to him for the side eye and for all that because you know that's not the hill they want to die on right there because it'll cause more issues in the long run for him you know let Lester do what he wants so that overall they can keep all the miners under their palm so Lester's just sitting there watching everyone I would say probably one of the newer miners that everyone knows has an attitude which far, far reaches past his status in life and in the mines is getting a little too... He's feeling the spirits a little too much. So <laughs> he's starting to get loud and obnoxious and he starts mouthing off to the supervisor's table. And they, you know... They, they are not going to deal with this because you let one and then all the rest are going to join in and, you know, then 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 you, you don't have that hierarchy. So they start to get visibly upset and they start whispering amongst themselves. A lot of the miners are looking to the supervisor's table back to, I'm going to say his name is Scott. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at the supervisor's table back to Scott then the other half of the miners are looking at Lester 
and then back to Scott. And everybody's just kind of... It, it, he said what he said, and it just kind of... Everybody stopped, like, oh, what's going to happen now? So everybody's waiting for, for what's going on. So Lester gets up slowly, takes another sip, like a big gulp out of his drink, walks over and just stares at Scott. Lester isn't a small man. He isn't a medium man. He is an imposing figure. And he's he's got scars. He's got, you know, you can tell he's worked in the mines and he has experienced almost everything you can experience in said mines. So he just stands there judging this man, weighing him, giving him the opportunity to shut up and apologize for what he did kind of that look a father gives when he catches his child doing something wrong he'll just <laughs> stare at you giving you the, the the chance to stop and apologize that's what lester's doing right now and i feel like a lot of the miners here have been on the receiving end of that look oh, yeah. and they all recognize it's a rite it. of passage. Oh, yeah yeah yes. mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's 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 known that you get you get approached by Lester, and there's only one of two reasons why. It's either to congratulate you for doing hard work, or to tell you you're screwing up. And if it's the latter, either you don't come back to work, or you realize what you did, and he doesn't have to give you that look anymore. So he's just sitting there tapping his foot, staring at Scott, and Scott's you know out of it, and. Um, I don't should I should I play both or <laughs> I say who wants to play Scott? Who wants to be our, our loudmouth today? I will be a loudmouth for the group if if no one else wants to jump in on that. Scott, I think, is just like it, it, it's it's devolved to the point where like his words are slurring, like for sure. And you can't, I think, from the management table tell exactly what he's saying if they could or really if anyone could he would be in a lot more trouble than he is right now which is still mm -hmm. a lot of trouble the thing that is really escalating the situation though is the way scott is laughing his laugh is is not a gentle laugh it is oh. like a bit higher pitched it's a bit cackly and he is very clearly amusing himself and pointing a little bit because he is amusing himself so i think it, it's escalated to the point where lester's stare is at its highest bit of intensity before he notices what's going on well i'm gonna give you one chance to put that damn finger away if you ever won't use it again you hear me he looks up scott looks up at lester a giant and you know at first it is just like his his brain slowly processes so many things like first he goes oh someone is speaking to me oh it's a giant man speaking to me <laughs> oh this is lester baird speaking to me what did he say and he doesn't even know what you said all he can see is the look on your face and it is as though he has never laughed in his life now. 
laughter is such a distant memory. How could he he have ever uh, done that thing? Um, and he tries tries to sit up, and he tries to say the name Lester, but it doesn't come to him. And now he's just focused on on you and what you are trying to say. Hey Heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, I certainly hope you're enjoying The Price of Coal. As a reminder, The Price of Coal is up on Kickstarter now. And there's an experience team behind it, so the game is as good as yours if you decide to back. Head over to Kickstarter, search for The Price of Coal, and back it. Or you can just follow the link in our show notes. Before we get back to the episode, I want to take a quick moment and thank some of our backers on Patreon. Kit Fai Chong, thank you so much. Bryn D. Barton, thank you. Roman Niederberger, thank you so much. Timothy Myers, thank you. Robert Barlett Schneider, thank you very much. Rick Osales, thank you. Emerald Ashcan, thank you very much. Sophie B., thank you. Christine Berry, thank you so much. Giovanni, thank you so much. Jeremy Lewis, thank you. Grizzbiz, thank you very much. Allison Kelly, thank you. Gwyn Rumbolt, thank you so much. Aaron Clark, thank you. Nicholas Greensmith, thank you very much. Kevin Wilson, thank you. And Charlie Warrell, thank you. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. We wouldn't be able to make this show without you. If you'd like to join this illustrious list of names and get access to cool bonus content, head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and sign up to be a backer. A huge thanks to everyone who signed up already and everyone who's going to sign up in the future. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. I'll come take him home before he gets the rest of us in trouble. I think Andre walks out of the crowd and appears by Scott's side, kind of puts a hand around his shoulder. I I feel like even though Lester is a very imposing figure, Andre is a little bit more willowy, but he's taller just from mm. a from a foot standpoint, footage. Um and he he he's very gentle with Scott, um, kind of uh, softly sort of directs him away from management, but he gives Lester a very hard look um, as, as he's kind of walking back into the crowd with Scott and kind of like talking to him gently and being like, not soothing necessarily, but just kind of like, hey, you need to go home, like kind of carefully informing Scott that he's very drunk and it's time to stop. <laughs> um, kind of showing, uh, taking a tack of kindness here where I think Lester was um, taking a, a like, hey, get out, clean it up <laughs> kind of deal. Oh yeah, no, he was 100% dominant, just A, you being stupid, 
get the hell out. Yeah, and I I think this look that Andre and Lester exchange is this this sentiment of just like we don't agree with each other in this moment <laughs> and how we should have handled the situation. I'd like to throw a little flavor text on that if I can. Do it. Which is that yeah. I think this party, as it were, this gathering, this community picnic, whatever it is, is taking place in a little park next to the churchyard, which is the community space. And so you have this mm-hmm. looming structure of the church next to you, which, of course, is always a, a backdrop for any sort of conflict in a delightful way. Oh, of course. But I think at the one table where you have the management I think the character in question that was sort of causing this disagreement indirectly was a uh, a mine foreman who used to be on the mining crew with the rest of you, but has since been mm. promoted oh. above all of you. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And I think in that oh, like moment, Lester, as you are sort of turning away from Andre and going back to your seat and already confronted with this like a difference in opinion over how you should have handled it, I think maybe the nail in the coffin of that situation is you glance over at the management table and this foreman catches your eye and gives you just a little nod of something that he clearly thinks is solidarity. So the moment Andre approaches Scott and starts taking him away and shoots him that look, Lester's gonna lock eyes with him and Lester understands how to handle the miners. It's essentially when it comes down to issues between them, you know, it's a big dog situation. It's a pissing contest for the most part. So Lester's no Lester knows how to handle these situations. So the moment Andre locks eyes with him, that's it. Like he gives him he he maintains that that glare until Andre gets, you know, out of sight. So he's just staring him down the entire time, begging him to have something to say in the matter. And so once he's done with that, you know, he's already frustrated with Scott. He's annoyed with Andre. And all he wanted to do was just come here, have a couple drinks, you know, be a part of the festivities and then go home. So yeah, as he turns, then that foreman like nods like appreciate it you know you you know thank you for for helping us out but at the same time lester can't stand that guy because he was on the floor and lester doesn't understand or agree with why he was promoted yeah uh, oh, so, yeah, Lester should have had that position. Like, if, oh, if the oh, world yeah. worked properly, <laughs> Lester should have yeah. had that position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this guy, he just, like, kind of kind of nods and maybe gives, like, a, a quick smirk or something. And I don't think the human eyeball can roll <laughs> as far back <laughs> as Lester's managed to. As he gave him that, uh, that 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 <laughs> smile, and then just kind of went back to his table, sat down because everybody's sitting on kind of like these these uh, picnic bench kind of things, you know, those tables where it's the everything's connected yeah. in one piece. Lester goes back and he's sitting on one by himself, so he's sitting on the table part with his feet on the bench, and so he just goes back, sits down, and doesn't bother even paying the the management table any more attention and just focuses back on the miners kind of nods to them takes another drink which which signals to the rest of them the situation's handled get back to it 
Nice. I love it. And like you feel that moment where like everyone sort of exhales. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. the people the people who didn't realize they were holding their breath, like Nathaniel was definitely in the background, like, nope, keep your head down, keep your head down. Do not I do not see it. <laughs> I pretend I do not see it. Uh, I'm gonna give this character a name just in case he comes back up later. I'm gonna say this guy's name is Calvin. Just in case we Calvin wanna bring this foreman. foreman back into the, yeah. the right here. Calvin the foreman. Fucking right. Calvin. Calvin. Scott Belush and Cal's in the foreman. <laughs> yeah, we used to we used to call him Cal. Now, that's now Cal. he's Calvin. Yeah, we Calvin. do not call him Cal anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that was one of the first things he made sure to uh, <laughs> to to enforce is that. I mean, you know. Mr. Calvin last name, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like he like still tries to be yeah. buddy buddy with us. Yeah, that's the, the so impression. He's like, no, that I'm call getting. me Calvin. And we're all like, shut up, Calvin. <laughs> yeah, like everybody's used to calling him Cal, mm-hmm. but he needs to, he had to show his fellow supervisors that he is removed from that right. situation. But he still wants to be that that quote unquote bridge between both sides and show that he's still one of the minors. So he'll joke with them. He doesn't have them call him Mr. or anything, but the moment they call him Cal, he 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 just changes immediately. Is like no, it is Cal. He's a mind centrist. We hate that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Palomi, your yeah. card is a mine accident. Two men were injured in a mine accident yesterday. They're alive, but they'll never work again. Who will provide for their families? How can we help them? I feel like it. This scene kind of opens up with the morning after because there was a cave-in the day before they're taking care of a couple things in the mine so our start time isn't what it usually is it's delayed by maybe an hour or so Andre's sort of preoccupied he's walking over to the Bailey residence and kind of this tall figure sort of hunched over with this concern, kind of like scratching at his his chin or his cheek. He hasn't shaved today yet. He's got a hand in the pocket and, and is just sort of very agitated because he's concerned about that very thing, how how these families are now going to be provided for now that the, the men are not capable of working. And he kind of knocks gently at the Bailey's door and waits for someone to answer. I think Sarah answers. Ah, uh, Sarah, it's <laughs> good to see you. Um, is John in? Uh, yes, he has. He's he's just finishing up breakfast. And, like, Sarah is, I think, giving him perhaps, like, the bare minimum of courtesy. So, like, she doesn't do, like, the, oh, yes, please come in and sit and join him. She's just kind of like, yeah, he's over there and walks away. I, I think Andre doesn't notice and is about to ask if he can come in. But when she walks away, he's just kind of like, oh, okay. And lets himself in, goes to sit down, and kind of looks intently at John. Yeah, I, I think John John will turn around like like a hearing that, you know, somebody had, had come to the door. And as soon as he lays eyes on Andre, his face brightens up and he, he's got that broad smile. He 
excitedly goes over, says, Andre, and he'll, you know, reach his hand out for a handshake, but he'll also do that thing where he, he pats you on the shoulder while... Uh, I think that handshake turns hand. into a hug. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is this like a European uh, yeah. Uh, situation? Yeah. <laughs> That's um, what the Europeans do, right? <laughs> well, yeah. They're, uh, they, they, them and their non- uh, uh, Puritan ways. So yeah, like it, it, <laughs> the handshake turns a bit European, which means uh, John's cheeks like swell up rosy. His his whole face would look red if not for the powerful again protagonist beard. Can in fact confirm that's how face. the Italian American West Virginians do it, though. In case anyone was wondering, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. A handshake. Why? Why stop at a handshake? It's got to turn into a hug. We're close. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Yeah, uh, and and John totally can handle that. Waits for a moment, and is just like, "What are we going to do?" Seriousness st starts to wash over John's face. We've got to. We've. Everyone said something individually, whether whether it's a, a complaint or uh, uh, just just grumbling but we have to let them know. I think we're talking about two different things. Hmm? I'm more concerned about Michael's wife and daughter. And John is gonna just furrow his brow. Uh, probably hasn't heard yet. They can't work anymore, John. And then his eyes go wide. What do you mean? Well, I mean they can't work anymore. Meaning there's nothing coming in. Meaning... <laughs> meaning... Emily... Meaning Emily and Shannon are going to starve. John will, you know, sit down opposite Andre, hunched over the table. Well, well, this is where it starts. This is where it starts, and this is how we prove it. We have to, we have to take care of them. I agree with you fundamentally. Who's going to take care of them? Because no one's volunteered yet. Well, that's that's just the thing, Andre. It, 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 it's not a question of who individually. It, it, it's a question of how do we all. It's only going to take a little bit from everyone to, 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 to get them through. All we have to do is is come together and, and, and just commit to a little bit. We can do that. We we can go we can go through church. Take take up a collection there. And if if people see how how little it, it, it takes, if people know that if the same thing were to happen to them, that 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 their fellows would be at their side and at their back, then when we tell them that, that we have to send a message, they'll be able to do that too. Do you really think that's something everyone could agree to? Well, if something happened to you, what would you want for Viola? Would you want your community to be there for you? Of course I would, but I'm not so jaded and to assume And everyone wants they the same be. thing. Everyone wants the same thing, Andre. I would want that if, if, if something were to happen to me. Obviously, 
people would, would need to come and care for Sarah. And, and it's too much. It's too much to ask for any individual to step into that role. But to ask a community to step into that role, why? It, it, it's nothing. It's, it's nothing at all. Andre kind of runs a, a hand over his face and gives this exasperated sigh. If anyone can convince this community to pitch in, I'm sure it's you. But we should probably do that sooner rather than later, because they're already in a little bit of trouble. Well, the the most important thing is, is finding out about it. That's the first step. And, and now that I know, together, together we can start to move. Th this Sunday, this Sunday, uh, 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 I... I I, I will go and, and speak. I, I will I will talk to uh, I, I will talk to the preacher today. Today, I can talk to the father if it's all the same. Um, I'll see what he has to say too. Yeah, John nods en enthusiastically. This is wonderful. Uh, uh, Sarah, Sarah should be here for this. Sarah. Yes. Have, have you heard? You 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 must be part of this too. It's not just on our side. Uh, men men can only do so much on their own. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I I will um, speak to the rest of the women. It's no one's going to have much to give, but if everyone does some, we can make it okay. Not great, but okay. You know, that's that's the advantage of surviving on not very much doesn't take very much to make up for an absence. I I feel like John's optimism is infectious. Like <laughs> Andre came in here being very preoccupied and sullen and like oh my gosh, like I'm going to feel responsibility and I can't and and just sort of definitely doom spiraling to a certain degree this this secondhand mm -hmm. anxiety of like what's going to happen now. But um, after just a, a short conversation with John, he's 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 smiling at Sarah too, but half convinced that he can pull this off. <laughs> and I feel like Sarah's having this moment of like, she has probably been trying to set up something like this in advance, knowing that these accidents do happen. And she's glad that it's going to happen but upset that it took someone getting severely injured yep. for it to happen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I think that'll be the thing. I feel like John is, you know, one of those people, like, is easily moved to passion. Um, so when mm -hmm. a problem is immediately set in front of him, you know, he, he can move to do it. And because he is a man and, like, a charismatic man on top of that, like, it is easy to start moving those things. And Sarah, yeah, had the long view, was like, we yeah. could prepare for this in advance. And, you know, maybe maybe collection did happen, but it, it was nothing because yeah. there's no call to action around it. Yeah. But uh, I, I think John is, is, like, seeing the... First of all, like the stricken kind of spiraling that Andre approached with uh, at now turning to relief, John will, you know, move a hand forward on the table and, and grab Andre's hand and, you know, just smile uh, and nod into his eyes. You did the right thing coming to me. Well, we'll see. It's kind of like a joking half smile. I think Andre will get up, kind of push back from the table and and do that sort of satisfied sigh 
like, we've done good work here today, folks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and leave to to kind of go back to his home and, and do a couple things before that whistle sounds. But the last thing he does, I think, is put an arm uh, or a hand on John's shoulder and kind of squeezes it affectionately before going out the door. Yeah. And I feel like the, the closing shot there is like, we just see Sarah notice this. <laughs> Sarah <Your> reaction. saw <laughs> that. Sarah, Sarah saw will that. remember this. <laughs> Sarah will remember this. All right. So our next card, and this is the final card of fall. The school closed. The one-room schoolhouse has closed mm. for good. The teacher has moved on to somewhere else, and there is no sign of a new one on the horizon. How are your children to escape your current life? Who will teach them? Oh, this has got to be a Sarah one. This is definitely a Sarah scene. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Sarah probably goes to talk to Eliza about this because, I mean, Sarah goes and talks to Eliza about a lot of things. So I feel like maybe after a day or two, after the like announcement has, has happened... You know, at this point, we're seeing, like, the beautiful fall foliage has mostly, if not entirely, fallen off of the trees. Everyone's a little bit more bundled up against that cooler breeze coming through the mountains. Um, and we see her, like, go up to, to knock on Eliza's door. But well, yeah, as, as, as you knock, she's, come on in, baby. Eliza, we we have to do something about the school. We can't. Mm-hmm. Listen, I I don't have kids, but I know that this is their best shot at getting something better. We can't we can't just leave them uneducated. It's not going to work. I mean, for one thing, and I hate to say it, everyone has their own work to be doing. Um, we can't have all of these children just running around all of the time. They need structure and they need discipline and they need to learn. But I, I, I can't do it myself. I, none of us can. You ain't wrong. Um, I mean, baby, you can only do what you can do at the moment. You're, you're setting the groundwork for great things. And... I've seen schools come and go. I've seen times where there were no schools to teach anybody, but we still talk. So what we need to do, if we can't save it right now, then we need to find a way to still get these little ones together to teach them to still have some sort of structure so that when we do get the building back nothing is lost maybe if uh, maybe if we get a few of us a few of a few of the women um and we each take a day or something and we sort of schedule it and do you think the church would let us use it for just a few hours even would would be huge I can speak to somebody in the church, see if I can get uh, get a room, maybe one of the Sunday school rooms to use to teach the babies. Um, I know I know Clara, I know her daughter went to uh, uh, she went to something and, and 
I know she's she's able to teach, but she just never pursued it. I don't get me started on that because I've told her all the different things that she should be doing, but she you know she's young. She wants to do whatever she wants to, but that's a whole nother thing. So um, I know if push comes to shove, we could probably convince her to come down and teach the children something. But we can make it happen, baby. Don't worry. We can make it happen. We just have to sit down, get our heads together and figure out the best way of doing it. You're right. You're right. You're You're always right about these things. If we put ourselves together and I stop panicking. We can get something together. It won't be perfect, but we can make sure that they're at least looked after. It's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. Just remember, baby, God ain't leave me on this earth because I'm dumb. (laughs) No, (laughs) ma'am. All right. So I'll talk to Clara and see if if her daughter could, could come back come back to town um even if only for a little while um we'll we'll figure out something for payment if we can but it won't be much if you go if you're going over to clara's baby tell her i still owe her two pies and i will have them in the next couple days i'll do that all right thank you thank you eliza as always anytime baby and I feel like as as Sarah gets up to go over to Clara's, you see her like she gets up, she's leaving, and you see her like take that minute to like square her shoulders, set herself, like center herself, and then goes. Like she's like, Okay, this is the place that I can do that. Nowhere else can see me being like all shaken and vulnerable, but here it's okay. I think as you leave, sort of step off the front porch and, and make your way over to wherever it is that Clara leaves, you see a handful of children sort of running around and playing in the like off to the side of the street because you know where else are the kids going to play and they're poking around mm-hmm. with it's a, it's a handful of little boys who have like sticks in their hand and you can't really tell at first it's just like you know i think maybe you you smile and they seem to be having a good time and you're delighting mm-hmm. in the fact that even if it's because they're not in school there are still moments where children can be children But as you get closer to them and you can hear what it is that they're doing, the game that they're playing is them pretending to be in the mines. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, the the knife twists a little bit deeper. (laughs) Y'all boys better be careful. Don't poke nobody's eyes out. Yes, ma'am, Miss Friedman. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I want to be the foreman this time. I told you, it's my turn. This episode of One Shot features music from the following artists. The Wanderer by Third Age. Years Gone By and Finally Home by Brentwood. Wildlands by Sounds Like Sander. Brothers by Heartland Knights. Vineyards of Venice by Cody Martin. Maybe in the Next Life by Ian Kolowski. Swamp Jam by Dreamland. Through the Valley by Andy Ellison. And Troublesome Teddy by Brandon Adams. This episode of One Shot was edited and sound designed by Tracy Barnett. <laughs> <laughs>
You can find more of their work online, anywhere, at The Other Tracy. Well, heroes, that's it for One Shot this week, but don't worry. We'll be back next week with more of The Price of Coal. In the meantime, be sure to check out one of the other amazing gaming shows here on the One Shot Network. Like Skyjack's Courier's Call, an all-ages-friendly actual play podcast set in the world of Sphere. Skyjack's Courier's Call follows three teens as they set out as new apprentices aboard an airship with the Swiftwell Courier Service, bringing mail and adventure across the world. Featuring Drew Merzieski, Palomi Pertap, Aaron Catano-Saez, and Ali Grauer, and using the Cortex Prime system, this show is perfect for anyone just getting started listening to actual plays, and veterans of the tabletop genre alike. Join clever but anxious Kieran, bold, fast-talking Cece, and the loyal and strong June aboard the Red Audrin ship as they sort and deliver mail, encounter powerful magic, and learn the proper skills of an Ariner along the way. Right wrongs, do mercies, and take flight. As always, we end one shot with a call to action. Uh, this week, we have a special call to action for our neighbors to the north. I have been told that elections are coming up in Canada. I'd like to urge all of our Canadian listeners to get out and vote. America is a bad place to live. And if you're of age to vote in Canada, it is your civic duty to do everything you can to prevent Canada from becoming anything like America. As for our U.S. listeners, I urge you to call your representatives and voice your support for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Many of our states have taken active measures to suppress voter turnout, and without robust federal laws protecting voting rights, there is a very serious chance that America could become much less democratic in the near future. There's lots that you can do to get involved, but the first and easiest step is calling your representatives. It only takes a few minutes, and it can make a huge difference on issues like this. When I call, I use a site called fivecalls.org. There, you can put in your zip code, find issues that are relevant to you, along with contact information for your representatives, and scripts to read while you're on the phone to help you get your message across. Also, with midterm elections coming up in the United States, this is a very good time to reach out and get involved with political campaigns early. Volunteering and organizing is a great way to support issues and candidates that you care about. If you have the time, I strongly recommend getting involved. Thanks, heroes. As always, a humble and hearty thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you want to help us in a non-monetary way, the best thing you can do is tell a friend. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Every five-star review we get helps new people find the show. For the latest one-shot news, be sure to follow me on Twitter at OneShotRPG. Look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OneShotPod, or look for news on the site at OneShotPodcast.com. If you want to inquire about ad rates, live appearances, commissioning episodes, or you have a general question or comment for the show, contact us at GameMaster at OneShotPodcast.com. OneShot is a production of the OneShot Podcast Network, in association with Paracosm Press. Paracosm Press is a Chicago-based tabletop games publisher. You can find more information at P-A-R-A-C-O-S-M-Press.com. Finally, that music which is right now swelling up over my voice is Adventure by Be Your Own Pet, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes.
The history of role-playing games is weird and wild, and we here at System Mastery are determined to look through it all. Every heartbreaker that drove a man to bankruptcy to see his vision of D&D with really specific armor maintenance rules come to fruition. Every game where you get increasingly certain as you read it that this is all just one person's weird fetish. Every system that painstakingly recreates how medieval life was really like, and then also you can cast Fireball. The System Mastery podcast wallows in the filth of RPG history. Come, join us in the muck at System Mastery.